and be like, hey, man, so where do you live? Why do you, why do, you do this? You know, uh, do you get paid well for this? You know, those kinds of questions. And, and they open up to you, you know. Uh, one of the tour guides was 17 years old. The other guy was like in his early 20s. He was our primary tour guide. And uh, they, so that we just started talking, you know. We just started talking about a million different things. And, and, and we just, we, you know, you just kind of connected a little bit. And just, I mean, they spoke English. One of them, st- the 17-year-old, by the way, spoke five different languages. For, so all of you that are struggling with Spanish in high school, you stink. <laughs> this guy's awesome. So he spoke like five different languages. Um, but anyway, and then the other guy spoke at least three languages that I know of that I heard him speak while we were on the, the little excursion thing. So anyway, so these guys were all opening up and we're talking, you know, and, and really they started to talk about, um, you know, you know the, 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 the way Americans are. We were sitting down at, at, at lunch that day, and so it was me and like four other Americans, and there was these two tour guides, and the one guy that was our driver that didn't speak any English whatsoever, he would smile and say, huh, you know, that was the only English he spoke. But um, so we were talking about it, you know, and, and it was on my mind, but it, it, the lady that was sitting next to me, she was from, from uh, Boston, the Boston area, and she, she asked the guy, she said, she was talking to the 17-year-old, his name was Nikolai, she said, Nikolai, why is it that it seems like the people mostly in Eastern Europe that I see that they never smile, like they always look kind of depressed or down or flat or something, you know. And, and I actually had that on my mind because I had tweeted earlier in the week. I said, it's kind of cool because I don't have to worry about the expression on my face when I'm walking around here. I don't have to smile. I can just, you know, because people get on to me around here because we're in the South and everybody's supposed to smile and be nice, you know, that kind of thing I'm talking about. So especially if you're a pastor, by the way, it's like double down on that. It's got to be, you got to be super duper smiley and happy all the time. But anyway, so, you know, because sometimes I'm just thinking about things and I'm looking at you and it's not because I'm mad. I just, I just got a blank expression on my face. I'm not upset. I'm not hurt by you. I'm not frustrated with you. I didn't walk by you and not hug you because I don't like you. That's not what happened. I just, I'm thinking about something or I, I'm just not right there in the moment. Okay. So give me a break. But in Germany, that didn't matter. You know, Austria and, and, and where I was in the Czech Republic, everybody looked like that. So it's, and he said, so the 17 year old guy, Nikolai said, he said, it's, it's just that we, you know, we just, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. And we'll just, you know, if we need something from each other and we have a relationship and we communicate, we'll be nice towards one another and all that. He said, but the people here have been through some really rough times. You got to remember that communism is not that far in our past. And a lot of the people that were here, they endured a lot of difficult times. And, and that may be the reason that you see that expression on people's faces because they just, it's been a long time since they've probably really been super-duper happy about something. So he was just talking about this, and he said, but this is what I see in Americans. He said, I see that Americans, they seem really happy and smiley. He said, they, he said but this is the word he used. I don't think that he meant this word, but I, I'll, he said the word naive, but they're naive. And, and he started to talk them, and he said, you know, they, they look like they're smiling, and they're happy, and everything's good in their lives. He said, but then when you talk to them and hear about all the things in their life, they start complaining. They complain about this. They complain about that. They complain about that. They're just not happy, actually, but they have a smile on their face while they're doing it. And I said, you're absolutely true. You're absolutely right about that. I think, I think that he didn't really mean the word naive, or maybe I don't even understand the word naive, but I think what he meant was they're fake that a lot of Americans are fake. Um, if you ever go to another country and you really talk to some people and you really understand their culture, you will see 
In a lot of ways, Americans are really fake. We have a lot of nice things, and we're really discontent. We had this discussion at our table that, that you know, um, uh, the, the people in this, in this country, that, that, that it's more like, it's the, ah, that was, ah, blah, blah. <laughs> you go into different countries of the world, and you see people that have so little and so, so much less than we have, and yet they seem to be so much more content. They seem to be so much more happy with what they have, and they don't get wrapped up in so many other things. And I said, that's absolutely true. In America, once you have this car, you want this car. Once you have this set of clothes, you want that set of clothes. You know, once you have this house, you want that house. And it's, it's this continual thing of I'm never happy, I'm never content, I always want more, I always desire to have something else. There's always this jealousy factor that's playing in. And it's like this constant thing in, in the American culture. And that's why we're complaining so much. We'll have a smile on our face trying to make you convinced that we're actually happy. Because we know that we have so much and we know that we should be happy. We just know that we aren't. I mean, that's, I, I'm just being honest with you. I mean, this is a conversation we had. I, I said, that's, that's the American culture. We're going to pretend a lot. And so, I mean, I, I was thinking about this, you know, and I was t- thinking about how we pretend a lot and, and how that ties into the resurrection and how it ties into our relationship with God and our view of God. And I got to thinking about Easter, right? And before I talk about that, I want to tell you something else that he had told me. This was very interesting. I don't, I don't know what to tell you about this besides to say that I'm going to tell you something that's going to be very weird. It's very funny, but very strange, okay? It just has to do with Easter. I don't know that it's really necessarily tied in with what we're going to talk about tonight, but I want to tell you because it's so interesting. So he said that we have a unique tradition here in the Czech Republic around Easter. I said, you do? Okay. He said, there was a guy that lived here for many years, and he was an American. He said, for the 30 years I lived here, I still didn't understand this tradition or why it existed or what they're doing exactly, but this is what they do. He said, he said we beat women on the Monday after Easter. I said, what? <laughs> we, he, said, he said, we beat women on the Monday after Easter. I said, okay, you have to explain. Explain, please. You, know, like, you can't just throw that out there. He said, no, it's not like we beat them. He said, like, we take this little stick, it's usually the younger guys, and we take, it's like a little switch thing, and, and we, we, on the Monday after Easter, we go and we whip girls on the butt with this little stick. I say, I, yeah, I know, you can't tell, believe I'm telling you this in church, right? I should save this for, like, our group discussions when we're out there. And anyway, so I was like, you do what? He said, yeah. So we... We get a little switch thing, and we go around, and he said, you got to know where all the hot girls are and, and go to their houses because that's the ones that you really want to interact with, you know? And then they have to, I know, like, this, go, this is all you're going to remember from tonight's sermon. I know that right now, right? Like, Kenny told us about them hitting them with a stick. Yeah. So anyway, so you go over to their house, and, you, and they let you, I don't, I, I don't understand it either, they let you hit them a couple of times with the stick, and then they give you, like, a little piece of ribbon or something. You tie this onto the stick, and the more ribbons you have on your stick, the... the <laughs> the more of a Mac Daddy you are, I guess. I don't know. It's like, you know, like you got this ribbon, stick filled with ribbons, you know. I, I don't understand. He said, and then, and then on top of that, they give you like a little piece of candy or chocolate or something like that. And then some people uh, will even give you money. I was like, you get to hit women with a stick. You get a piece of ribbon from them and they, get you, they give you money. I was like, I'm moving to Czech Republic today. You know what I mean? Like, this 
is an awesome tradition. And he said, so he said this. He said, he said, um, do you have any other weird traditions in the U.S.? I said, well, have you ever heard of New Orleans? And he's like, what? I said, it's in Louisiana. I said, so picture Florida, Alabama, and then Louisiana, like in that order, kind of, kind of like that, you know, just moving that direction. He said, okay, yeah, okay, Louisiana, okay. I said, well, in New Orleans, they do this thing leading up to Fat Tuesday, which is called Mardi Gras. Now, I didn't go into all the traditions about Mardi Gras, okay, because it's a 17-year-old guy. I didn't want to corrupt his mind, so I didn't want him going to the United States just to go to Mardi Gras. But, this, so I said, one of the things that they do is that they, they bake this cake. It's kind of like a big donut thing, and then they take a plastic baby, and they stick it in the cake, and whoever gets the plastic baby is going to have good luck. He said, what? We bake a cake and put a baby in it, and if you get the baby, it's good luck. And he's like, your tradition is way more strange than ours. You know what I mean? Like, this, this tradition of, of uh, eating a baby, like, what is that, man? That is bizarre. I was like, look, I don't participate in it. I know that this is a thing, and sometimes at the donut shop, they sell these kind of cakes with the baby in it, okay? That's all I know, all right? He said, but that is a really bizarre thing. So... Leading up to Fat Tuesday, which is the big Mardi Gras celebration, uh, that whole tradition, if you think about it, what does that have to do with, with Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, even, even the tradition of Lent and fasting from, from something for a period leading up to Easter. Can you show me in what chapter and in what verse do we find that in God's Word? Is that anywhere in here? I mean... I don't care if I get chastised for this, but it's just as ridiculous as plastic eggs and Easter bunnies. It's, it's, it, there's nothing biblical about Lent. There's something biblical about fasting, absolutely. But if you think about what Lent has turned into, a lot of the stuff that happens in Mardi Gras leads right up to Fat Tuesday so that people can go wild and they can party because they're given an excuse because I'm about to have to fast from something. Man, isn't that a perfect picture of the American culture? I'm about to have to give up something because I am going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, I am going to go nuts and I'm going to get drunk and it's going to be all kinds of debauchery and just in celebration of what I'm about to do to give up for Jesus. I'm like, I mean, I told him, I told him about this and he's like, wow, man, this is crazy stuff, you know? This is crazy stuff. And I said... I said, I, I know, I know. When I think about the resurrection of Jesus, and I know that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, especially on Easter Sunday, right? Because that's why we celebrate resurrection. It's, it happens on Sunday, right? That's what makes, makes Friday understandable to us. You know, the fact that Jesus died, we got Sunday, and Sunday's the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we celebrate Jesus on Easter Sunday, but that's also the reason why we celebrate Jesus every Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Because we celebrate that resurrection that happened on that day. And for you to just celebrate on Easter, how ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is it for just to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on one day a year? I mean, it's like Sunday mornings come and go, especially around here in the United States, man. It is you know, some people go to church so they can check the box and said, I did my Jesus thing, you know, just like Lent for a lot of people. 
Oh, I fasted from chocolate. I fasted from soft drinks. Oh, pity you. I am glad you are suffering for the cause of Christ with no Diet Coke. Praise Jesus for that. You know, I mean, I just, I, I don't, it, it is so the picture of what we are here in America. And we celebrate Jesus on Easter. We celebrate the resurrection on Easter. But yet the other Sundays are just like, eh, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. We're so in love with Jesus. We're so chasing after Jesus. We, we love Jesus more than anything because let me tell you something. I don't know how many of you in this place have been baptized in this water, but maybe you have. But what, what do I say? Is it your public profession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? that he lived a perfectly sinless life, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, rose again. And his sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for your sins, past, present, and future. Are you committed to denying yourself and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit who now lives within you? And we say yes to that. But the only day we really celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we really get serious about it is one day a week, and then we fill up all the churches And we say, yeah, man, that's when I'm going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And Sundays come and go, and you get up if you feel like it. You're so desperately in love with Jesus and and in love with the fact that he is resurrected, and he is God, that Sundays are just another day of the week. And maybe, just maybe, if you feel like it, you'll come in here. Or maybe some people come in here out of obligation or because their parents tell them to, or their parents will look down on them if they don't. Like, and that's how in love with Jesus we are. And the whole time we got a smile on our face. The whole time we got a smile on our face, making a good picture, making a good appearance. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our entire faith. If Jesus is not alive, then we are not Christians. It, it, is, it is what we are about. Without the resurrection of Jesus, then, then, then Jesus is not who he said he was. He is not God. And if he is not God, then we are not Christians. That reality should be so real and so permanent in our lives and so persistent in everything that we do that it should really look like the cornerstone of your life and not something that you give a second glance to, a second thought to, wonder if you should even be at church on Sunday because you got so many other things to do. Am I saying that the answer to you being very zealous and in love with Jesus Christ is for you to be at church? No, I am not. No, I am not. What I'm saying is this, that there's a lot of people that, that, that show up sometimes at church, and there's a lot of people that, that show up sometimes on Easter. They don't show up any other time. They give this nice appearance that they're in love with Jesus, but they're really not. They give this appearance that they really believe in the resurrection of Christ and the fact that that is the cornerstone of our faith, but that is not the reflection of their lives. They are not so passionately pursuing Christ that it looks like they're taking up their cross and following Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 15 says this. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters... Of the good news I preached to you before. Let me remind you of the good news I preached to you. It's good news because Jesus is alive. If he's not alive, it's not good news. It's just news. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. 
It is good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. This is the good news. Just as the Scripture said, just as it was supposed to happen, this is what happened. This is the good news. It's good news if you believe it, unless, of course, you believe something else, and then it's not good news. If you believe it, it'll be the reflection of your life. It will be so real in your life that you won't be able to deny it, that it will be evident in everything that you do. If you believe it, but only if you believe it, as the scriptures said. Since he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle for the way I persecuted God's church. So Paul's talking, right? He's saying, Jesus appeared to these people. He appeared to Peter, James, his disciples, his apostles. He even appeared to Paul. He appeared to some 500 of his followers. It's the 500 that bother me. It's the 500 that bother me. They saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, I am absolutely sure that many of those 500 went on to be great and mighty, important people in God's church. But I bet there's some of them. I bet there's some of them. You and I know in percentages the way that they are, and you and I know the church the way that it is. I bet there's some of them that were flippant about the resurrection, that were just dismissive of the resurrection of Jesus. They saw him alive after he was dead. They knew how he had died. They saw the affliction in which he was under. Maybe some of them were there uh, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, when he was on his way into Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe they were there, and they were some of the ones singing. And then they saw him die, and then they saw him resurrected. And yet, yet their, their faith, their pursuing of the gospel of Christ, their pursuit of Jesus just kind of faded. It kind of waned because it was not real to begin with. It was just something they heard but didn't really believe. Even if they saw it with their own eyes. Do you remember the story of Lazarus the beggar? So this rich man goes to hell, and he's, he's in hell, and he's like, man, if I could only go back. Well, first he asks, man, if I could just have a, a, a drop of water to quench this, this, the flames, just quench the thirst that I have. If I could just have a drop of water to do that. And that was denied him, of course, because he was in hell. He was in eternal torment, separated from God for all of eternity. And Jesus is telling this story, by the way. He says, well, at least if I can't get out of this torment in some way, at least let me go back and tell my brothers so that they can 
They can do the right thing and they can live the right way and have a relationship with God the way they're supposed to so that they won't have to endure this. And you know what is said to the, to the beggar or to the rich man that is in hell? You know what is said to him? Even if you came back from the dead, they still wouldn't believe. Even if they knew you had died and still came back to tell them, don't live this way, they still wouldn't believe. They still wouldn't live their lives in such a way that it reflected the fact that they believed what you told them. Jesus came back from the dead, told them that it was good news, and I believe there are probably some of them, some of that 500 that were dismissive to the reality of the resurrection. Just like there are people that come in here on Wednesdays or Sundays or Easter Sunday or Christmas and they hear the truth of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit of God presses upon their hearts the reality of the resurrected Jesus and, and, and the pursuit of God, the fact that he pursued them in their sinful nature. God pursued them and he killed his son for the purposes of, of their salvation and their dismissive of that. And some of them will even get into the water and will talk about the resurrection and they'll profess faith in that resurrection, yet their lives will not reflect their faith in that resurrection, even when they are reminded of it. I call that the American way. Am I saying that everybody in the Czech Republic is saved? Not at all. Am I saying that, that, that people in, in America are on their way to hell? I don't know. Many of them are. As a matter of fact, most of the people in the Czech Republic are atheists, as a matter of fact, because of some of the things that they've been through and the fact that their government tried to tell them what religion to be, what denomination to be. So many of them are atheists as a result of that. But what I am saying to, this, to you is this, is that it is personal to you. You are the one that will be standing before an almighty God. There will be an examination of your heart and what you truly believe and the, the fact that you truly lived out what is in your heart. There will be an examination of your life and, and what you believe and who you are, and, and you will have to stand before an almighty God. And everything that you have done to pretend and try to convince everybody else that you're a Christian and that you believe the resurrection, all that kind of stuff is going to be stripped away and you're going to be standing there naked before God. It's just going to be you and him and the truth of your life. And you're going to have to stand before him and explain this is who I am you don't have to say it with your mouth he sees your life he sees right into your life you know what Jesus says um, we're not going to have small groups tonight so the band needs to practice and all of that so we're not going to have small groups tonight but if you need to talk to me you certainly can I want you to hear what Jesus says about being a disciple uh, of him. A large crowd was following Jesus, a bunch of people. Jesus has got this opportunity to talk to a whole bunch of people, and he turned around to them and said, if you want to be my disciple, now this is a good way to start a conversation, right? If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is how you do it. That sounds good. All right, Jesus, let me know what I need to do to be your disciple. I want to be all in. Tell me what I need to do. If you want to be my disciple, you must. He doesn't say you can, you might be, 
you, if you feel like it, you will be. He says, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Well, Jesus, this is not the way to get people to come to your church. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Well, that doesn't sound like a cushy Easter sermon to me, Jesus. I really wish you would have just told us you love us, you care about us. And, and you know what? Maybe if we come every once in a while to church and hear a sermon, and maybe if we go down and pray, then, then maybe we can be your disciple. That's not what he says. You have to be willing to die. It has to be so important in your life, you don't even care about your own life. That's not what matters to you. What matters to you is following Jesus, and that is the main point of your life. I didn't say it. Jesus, the creator of the universe, said it himself. The one who died on the cross for you and for me, he's the one that said it. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, he is talking about hating your own life to the point of death, and he goes on to say, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I wonder if people truly believe in the resurrection to the point where if I said, we're going out here to pick up our crosses because we're going to hang on them and they're going to kill us on them. If you believe, go get your cross. I wonder how many people would say, yeah, I'm in, let's go. You ever thought about it? I want to remind you that I didn't say it. He did. I didn't say it. He did. This is not Kenny spicing something up. This is not Kenny being dramatic. This is Kenny reading to you the word of God and what Jesus himself said. If you aren't willing to die, go pick up your cross in order to be able to follow Jesus. You are not worthy of being his disciple. That's how serious it is. You cannot put on a smile, pretend to be passionate about Jesus, and not really be passionate about Jesus because when it comes time for you to pick up your cross, you won't pick it up. You won't pick it up. You'll look at it and you'll say, it's not worth it. I'm not doing it. I'm not willing to die for this. And you'll say, this is what you'll say. In your mind, you may not say it out loud, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? And you say, well, Kenny, I didn't see the resurrected Jesus. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see the fact that he was walking around. I bet this. I bet if you were in that 500, even if you had saw him come back from the dead, there's a good chance you would say, even if I'm wrong. Even if I'm wrong. If you are not willing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the point where you're willing to give up your own life for the following of Jesus Christ and the fact the resurrection is real and you know for a fact that you will be resurrected, that your body will go on to live forever in some place, whether it be with God or separated from God for all of eternity, if you do not believe that in such a way that you are willing to die for that message, then you have believed something else and you have believed something that's not the truth. You have believed in something that is not the resurrection of Jesus. It's that simple and it is that powerful and it is that real. 
so many times we're so dismissive of our relationship with Jesus. Do you really, truly believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus to the point where you are willing to give your life for the truth of the fact that he is risen from the dead? As a friend of mine, uh, he was what I call the, the first member of Simple Church, um, the first partner of Simple Church, and he, his name was Chris. And he said that God had impressed upon his heart that um, he was supposed to help me. He didn't know how, he didn't know why, but he was supposed to help me. This is a guy that suffered from addiction his whole life. He suffered with schizophrenia. Um, he heard voices. He tried his best to quench those voices, to squelch those voices in his life. But he struggled his whole life. And then one day he lay down on his couch and he went to be with Jesus. But he told he told me, he said, I feel like God has impressed upon my heart that I need to help you. To tell you about Chris's story for just two seconds, Chris went on this journey. He called it his spiritual journey to figure out what was real, what religion was really real. Because he had been raised as a Christian, he had been raised in a household where they believed in Jesus. But he said, you know what, I want to find out for myself. So he went on to read about uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, he read, read about Islam, being a Wiccan. He read about being a Jehovah's Witness, being a Mormon. He read all these books and all these things. He said, and then he, woke, he, he was sitting there one day and he opened this book and he read it. And he came to the realization that his relationship was God, with God was different because his God was alive. And he said he screamed to the top of his lungs, my God is alive. My God is alive. I believe, I believe that that's what being a Christian looks like. The realization that when you put everything else to the side and you realize that your God is alive, that makes God who he says he is in this book. And that's what allows us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And that's what allows us to, to forego those eternal flames and our tongues being so dry and us desiring so desperately for something to just quench the flames. The only way that we have that is through the resurrection of Jesus. I know that you hear it, but do you believe it? Is it so integral in your life that you cannot deny it and you're willing to die for it? Is that you and is that your relationship with God? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, first of all, for the resurrection of your son. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that you had to kill him for me. It's even harder for me to imagine that you knit me together in my mother's womb, that you put me together there, that you knew me so intimately, you knew every hair on my head. It's hard for me to imagine how you have seen every sin that I've committed, all of my rebellion against you, how my sin reflects the, the fact that my nature is to hate you, and yet you love me. You love me so much that you died for me. 
it's beyond my comprehension, Father, why you would do that. But I believe that you did. I believe that you did. But beyond just believing that you died for my sins, you were resurrected to show that you were God. And I believe that you are God. I believe that you are who you say that you are. God, I just pray that each and every one of us would take to heart the fact that we have to believe that to the point of death. But that's how real it is. God, that our lives are supposed to reflect the resurrection of Christ so much so that we're willing to die for it. God, I pray that we would not be dismissive of you, dismissive of your resurrection. God, I pray that we would be so in love with you and so pursuant of you and your love God that it just radiates from our lives that we are the salt and light of this world that our lives show what we believe that our lives show how we trust and believe in the resurrection of Christ God thank you for the power of your word thank you for the power of the resurrection and your Holy Spirit God I pray that you're glorified now as we respond to your Holy Spirit as he moves on our hearts and lives God I pray that we would respond to him and you would receive glory in Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.